0: The Lord is uh, really about people more than we realize. Um, It's amazing how much of the church today uh, is more about the function and more about growth as in numbers than the individual, right? Who's aware of that whole concept, right? that it's about growing a a big church, it's about growing numbers, but sometimes you're skipping over the 20, the 40, the 60, even the 1,000 to get it to 2,000, and somehow that 1,000 that's there faithfully is almost skipped over. God is after the individual. God is after the individuals. Amen. God cares about each and every person, and I really believe that when we step into the plans and purposes of God— uh, which we have, but he's always, as I've been even just preaching these last couple of weeks, bringing us into new seasons and into new things. Um, I really believe that as we step into what it really means to be the outworking, the working out of the ministry, really thinking about others more than ourselves, which is hard to do because we bring our prayers to the Lord. Our prayers are about us and our prayers are about him, but... Uh, and, uh, and then lastly, you know, our relationship with him. And then last, we bring in, oh, yeah, that's right. There's somebody else that I wanted to pray for. I've got about 30 seconds left. Sometimes we pray like that. We don't mean to do that, but those things, you know, happen in our prayers because we have so many distractions and so many things going on. And I believe the enemy wants to bog us down. Uh, and get us frustrated, get us flustered, get us distracted, so that then we don't do what he's asked us to do. Amen. So we are going to be about the Father's business, and I believe that the more opposition that you face uh, is actually an indication that you're doing the right things. Amen. So who believes that we're in the right place at the right time today? Amen. Amen. And I just thank you, Lord. I just want to pray right now. Lord, I thank you that you have gathered us together. We thank you, Lord Jesus, that you are right here with us. Lord, we have gathered in the upper room this morning. We're expecting your presence, Lord, to do something inside of us and come, Lord, and burst outside of us, Lord, for the world that needs you. We thank you, Jesus, for your presence. We thank you for your love and your grace and your mercy. And we thank you, God, that you're going to speak to us, that our ears would be open, our eyes would be open, that our minds, Lord, would would be like the mind of Christ. Lord, our hearts would be soft and moldable clay in your hands. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so last week, uh, I've been uh, just kind of talking the last couple weeks that the Lord talked about in Joel that he was going to do a new thing. Who's aware of the scriptures in Joel that he's going to do a new thing? And I said last week, I don't want to prophesy that God's going to do a new singular thing, I think sometimes, and, and Christians that have been, have been born and raised in the church have experienced this, where you've heard that prophecy over and over and over and over and over and over again, God's going to do a new thing, God's going to do a new thing, that it becomes, like, callous. You know, it just becomes callous. Like, okay, I've been waiting for that new thing my whole life. I don't know when it's going to arrive, but I keep hearing that it's coming. And it's because I don't know that it's a new singular thing that God's going to do. I think that God's constantly shedding us of our old skin, and giving us a fresh, new vision. In fact, the Bible, if you really want to look at the way God does things, we have to look to His Word, right? We don't look to theologies without looking to His Word, right? The theologies should be backed by His Word. But if I go to His Word, His Word says, My mercies are new every morning. Amen. Which means that God decides that today's a fresh day and a fresh start. I'm going to do something new today. The darkness came in again. isn't that surprising? No, it's not surprising. Are we surprised that night comes? We shouldn't be surprised that darkness comes. then that means uh, spiritually that that tough times come that the devil comes and does stuff around us and in our nation in our families and in our you know in trying to put together events and so on. But we have to know, okay, well, The darkness has come, but my Bible has promised me, and I actually have a physical picture to prove to me that when that sun rises again, that the Lord is going to do something brand new, that the Lord's going to wash away this darkness with a new sun every single day. God is constantly doing something new in the earth. I don't believe that we should uh, uh, poise ourselves and position ourselves and to look just for something new and like all we're doing is in a waiting game, but instead, God is doing something new constantly. God is shaking us off, I believe, right now of our old and our old skin and the old deadness. We talked about the new wine. And what I loved when I started studying about the new wine skin for new wine that Jesus talked about was that it wasn't just that they went out and killed an animal and got a brand new skin, but also that what it meant was that the skin had dried out, had been used, had been abused, right, basically, and it was done, it had been, had been pushed to its brink, and what it needed was a refreshing. And so what they would do is they would take that old wine skin and they would wet it. You can do this with an old leather boot too, right? You can get them wet, get them moist, and you scrub it down and they would clean it. And then they would get the oil, they'd rub the oil into the leather, and they would moisten that leather again so it was like a new skin. Say, I want to be like a new skin. I want new skin. Anybody want new skin? (laughs) Thank God we get new eternal skins, heavenly skins. Amen. And so what they would do is they would get this old skin to be like a new skin, and what that new old skin would be, would be like a new skin. <laughs> and what then the winemaker would be able to do was be able to put that new wine, right? Because what happens? We, were, we just talked about it briefly at the end of the sermon last week, but I'll say it again. I'm going somewhere from here. Because they didn't make new wine and then pour it into a skin, but they actually made the wine in the skin in the old times. The skin itself was what actually... You know, they didn't have these giant vats like we do in big factories, you know, and then they pour them all into bottles and everybody gets their wine. But they made them in the skins. That's how it was made. All the crushing and all that, that happened first, and then they would pack them into these skins. So what Jesus was talking about was actually what happens is, is as that, uh, those grapes begin to ferment, all the ingredients are in there, and so it begins to build up pressure. And what it would do is it would push that skin to its brink, and that skin would find its, its maximum give. And at that point, now the wine would, uh, would had basically, hopefully, completed, if it was a new skin, it could handle it, completed its fermenting process, and then it would be drunk. But at that point, that skin had already been stretched to its brink. So what Jesus was saying when he said, if you were to put new wine, if you were to do that process again, In the same skin, without a refreshing, everybody say, without a refreshing, without a renewal, renewal. right? If you were to come and just say, I'm just going to run, 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 run for God. I'm just going to do, 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 do for God. I'm going to go, go, go for God. And I'm never, ever going to come back and just get refreshed, get into his presence. Let him wash me again. Let him renew me again repentance. What does the Bible say? Repent because that's where the refreshing comes. We should be in a continual place of getting before him, humbling, repenting before him, letting him work his hands into our lives, constantly changing us, because I don't believe that he wants to put wine into us one time, and that's it. You know, we're a one-hit wonder, but the Lord wants to constantly keep using us for our entire lives. Amen. This is not a new and old image. This is not a young and old, this is not like a, you know, an adolescent versus the old thing. This is not like, you know, if you're above 65, it's time to step to the side. All right, that's not what this is. This is about us, the Lord's doing something in us spiritually, no matter what your age is. But I just talked briefly last week how our tendency humanly, and everybody's in their seats again, so you're all, everybody is fitting right in the mold. What we do, though, is we, we we get into ruts, we get into patterns, we get into molds. It's just human nature. It's not condemning. It's just who we are. So the Lord's shaking us up. The Lord wants to shake us from those things because what happens is even with Him, we do that in the natural, and it doesn't really matter. I was being silly about our seats, but we can do that in our time with Him and in our worship with Him, and it becomes religion. It can just become you know, a formula. This is what I do. This is how I spend my time with God. And and it can become lifeless even sometimes and even completely dry and cracked. But thank God that he he never gives up on us, does he ever? And he's always willing to take us and bring us back into the water, which is his word, and the oil, which is the spirit. And he will wash us in his word again, right? Who has found you get back into his word and life starts coming back? Who has found, I just need to, you know, your mind says, how could a scripture possibly help me feel better? You know, I I don't feel like that right now. What I feel like is Netflix. But who has bypassed the natural flesh, the heathen, demonic flesh? (laughs) That's really what that is. Let's just be honest. Jesus said it. I didn't say it. Jesus said it. Your father, the devil, or the, the father, the father, right? And so our flesh's father is the devil. That's the Bible. I didn't say that. God did. So when we listen to our flesh, we're listening to the devil without you even knowing it. But when we listen to the Lord and we get into his word and let him wash us, and we let the Holy Spirit start to do a work in us, and he'll start telling us things like, I want you to do this, and I want you to do that, and I want you to be kind to this person, and I want you to forgive, and I want you to love, and I want you to... you know, to uh, change some things in your thinking and so on, and he starts moving and changing things around, and suddenly you find after you have given yourself to him that you're soft again. Who has gotten hard, gone to the Lord, and become soft again? Anybody? Anybody done that many times? Well, aren't we thankful that the Lord's mercies are new every morning, that we can constantly come to him? I don't believe that we're supposed to just get soft For one big, great move, although I'm waiting for a worldwide revival. I am uh, still waiting for that. I'm still looking for that. But I believe that the Lord, when we look at history, when we look at His Word, I believe that the Lord wants to constantly wash us, constantly keep us soft, and constantly be pouring in new wine that we're giving out, right? It's not for us anyway. It's for the world. He's giving it to us. We get to reap the benefits of knowing him and walking with him, right? Remember the prodigal son and then the brother, you know, as the son's coming back, the brother's like, well, what about me? You didn't throw a feast for me and you didn't do all this stuff for me. And the prodigal son's brother uh, is a little bitter, a little jealous. And what he had forgotten was, uh, uh, hello, you. everything I have is yours, the father says to him. You've been with me this whole time. You didn't have to go through all this misery, so, you know, we must realize that walking with God and everything that God is doing uh, that he wants to do through us, right? Because he told us, he, go get the fatted calf, go do all this, go do all this work. But really, he was also telling him, you're with me always. I'm with you and you're with me always. That's really the benefit, the wine, the gifts, the blessings. Uh, there's there's a part that we get to share, but literally most of what God has for us is to be given out does that make sense so we don't want to just have the lord give us wine we become all dry cracked and brittle and we've been there done that bought the t-shirt and we're like okay i'm saved i guess well, i know i'm saved yeah i'm saved i'm going to go to heaven You know, we settle that for 20 years. I'm going to go to heaven, and that's it. We die. That's not it. I believe the Lord wants to constantly keep giving us more. In fact, you know, Peter, Pentecost happens, right? Who remembers the story? We just talked about Pentecost. We just celebrated it two weeks ago. And just literally from Acts 1 and 2 to Acts chapter 4, they're already getting another dose. Who knows the story, right? That the Holy Spirit falls on them again because they needed another touch because they had been persecuted and they had been threatened. So the Holy Spirit comes and touches them again. So if Peter needed it, then who believes that we need it? A constant touch, a constant refreshing, a constant new wine from the Lord. Amen. And so obviously we know the the new wine was, he was talking about the religious uh, of the day, not understanding Jesus, that they needed to be born again. Obviously the whole concept, it's all in there, but we can take that concept and apply it to a daily life. Does that make sense? So I laid that down as a quick foundation, hopefully that was quick enough, but for where I want to go right now, and it's in the book of chapter uh, uh, 9 of Mark and also in chapter 17, the book of Matthew, and we're going to read it out of Mark 9, verse 2. Mark 9, verse 2 says, six days later, Jesus took Peter, James, and John, and he led them up a high mountain to be alone. And as the men watched, Jesus' appearance was transformed. Everybody say, transformed. So Peter, James, and John, they actually get a glimpse at something that uh, was pre-the cross, pre-the resurrection. And this is actually Jesus' glorified state. Everybody say, Jesus' glorified state. So he was transformed, and his clothes, verse three says, they became dazzling white, far whiter than any earthly bleach could ever make them. Right? So his we know Revelation says when we look at his glorified state, that his eyes are like fire, right? That his hair is white, his clothes are white. So Peter, James, and John, they had been used to Jesus the carpenter, just like the world was. Except that they knew there was something in this carpenter, this son of Mary, right? This Galilean. They knew there was something to him, but they actually got a glimpse of his transformed, his glorified state. Amen. Now, he was, uh, he returned back to his earthly state to continue his earthly mission, but who knows that his glorified, transformed state was not something that was like put on him like, a cl- like clothing and then taken off of him, but rather that their eyes were able to see into a spiritual place through the physical. Do you know that you are a spirit in a physical body? Right? We know that. You were alive in your mother's womb, but you didn't look like you, did you? Right? Science Today, the devil science tries to say that until that baby breathes oxygen in the world, it's not, a, it's not a person, which is crazy. But all the way back at, you know, day one, day 10, I mean, even day 24, doesn't look like much of a person. So, you know, if we're to use our natural human senses, you know, you could say, well, okay, kill that thing because it's not a baby which is crazy, I know we don't believe that, but if you look at it, it doesn't look like you, does it? Does that mean that it wasn't you? Just because Jesus came in a human body, he came through Mary's DNA, he came through her image, but he was Jesus inside, wasn't he? And so the scales and the skin came off for a moment, and they were able to see who he really is. You know, Jesus... They say Jesus was a Jew. That's not true. Yes, he was. But also, he wasn't. He's also Jesus, the Son of God, who is without nationality, without beginning, and without end. Jesus, the human being, that Jesus, the, the creator of all, right, came through a Jew. But really, that what who they saw was Jesus, the Son of God, seated on high, who the Bible says that when God spoke, he spoke and everything was, it says that Jesus is the word. The word that was spoken, that's Jesus. And they got a glimpse of that person, didn't they? I'm going to give you, I think, something that many of us know. but a, may, So maybe it's a reminder for some, but maybe it's a brand new revelation for others. That you and I have that same exact glorified person inside of this ugly skin Right here Right inside of this person right here this ugly skin. I call it. It's ugly because it's temporary It gets hurt. It gets sunburned. It gets cut it gets bruised it decays and ultimately it dies But inside of here is an eternal person. Amen Amen And inside of each and every one of you is that same exact glorified state. But here's what happens. While we're here, this is all we see and know. And this is all that the world sees and knows. And so that's where the world's focus is. And if we're not careful, it could be where our focus is. But we must come to the revelation as ultimately Peter does, James and John do, right? All three of them were martyred for Christ. They came to the revelation that I am not Peter, the son of so-and-so. I am not uh, a fisherman. I'm not just uh, uh, trapped on the earth as this human being, but I am spirit. And so I'm going to focus on spirit. I'm going to focus on that part of me. That's who I want to be. Uh, and I'm going to live that life out through this physical being. Amen. And Can I get an amen from anyone? <laughs> I'm trying to preach. The Bible actually says there, if we go to verse 2, this word transformed, that is the Greek word Metamorpho, everybody say metamorpho. That's where we get the word metamorphosis, right? Metamorphosis. What they saw happen here was a metamorphosis. You guys know what a metamorphosis is. Everybody in here, remember your sixth grade science. Thank you, Dan. <laughs> A metamorphosis, most famously, most well-known, is the process of a caterpillar becoming a butterfly. When you look at a caterpillar, does it look anything, even remotely, even a tiny bit like a butterfly? <laughs> and yet, did that caterpillar, did it, And this is an interesting concept because we've got some things happening right now in the news. I'm not even going to get into it, but if you can get my drift, you'll know what I'm talking about. But some things are happening in the news. Some things are going to start changing realities. We're going to have to rethink and re-understand really what's happening on this earth, what God's up to on this earth in the spirit, right? Maybe you've seen some things in the skies and the news doesn't know how to interpret it. Because we think of spirit as ghostly. You know, the spirit of God is like a mist only that comes in. But God is, we were made in his image. So, you know, this physical body, we had to take on a physical skin that replicates a spiritual skin. But when Jesus came back in his transformed body, remember, Jesus came back glorified. They didn't recognize him. They thought he was the gardener. Then he had to prove some things to them because he's like, it can't be you. So he came back glorified. Remember, even Moses actually just looking on the face of God, his face became like glory. Do you remember? But he was still in a physical body. They physically saw it. So spirit is physical. Spirit is much more physical. You just can't see it. And this is what's crazy is that you can't see that butterfly, but that that caterpillar did not go into a. It's a really is a spiritual transformation, but spirit is not as, you know, ooey and and eye and goosebumpy as you think, but much more. I hate to use the word scientific because that's their word, but it's actually God's word. God had that word first, by the way. Do you know there was a science to when it becomes a, goes from a caterpillar to a butterfly is actually scientific. But do you know, even by science, I was reading some articles that it's so beyond, it's so out there that science can't figure it out. Because they said if you cut open a cocoon during the process, it literally goes from a caterpillar to like goo. It literally starts deteriorate. The thing just deteriorates to a lump of nothing. It's just cells inside. It literally is cre- like recreated, like reborn. How amazing! I believe that I don't know that God created the butterfly for this, but I believe that He He created the butterfly. If anything. Just to give us the picture, maybe the butterfly was allowed to be or on its own, and it's not only for us. Maybe that's it gets to be a butterfly too. But at the very least, its picture is incredible because we actually get to view what happens. It's not an accident that that the Greeks wrote down this word here, transformed about Jesus. It's not an accident that that becomes the word that we know today. Amen. Right? That the butterfly. That it goes from a caterpillar to a butterfly. God gave us a picture. Now you're sitting there thinking, well, yeah, but we're talking about Jesus. We're talking about death into life, aren't we? Well, let me show you something. It says in the book of Romans, actually in the book of Corinthians, chapter uh, 2 Corinthians, chapter 3. Everybody say, I'm on the earth. Raise your hand. You're here. I'm on the earth. All right, we're in the physical. The caterpillar is a physical thing that goes through this mysterious process in the physical, and yet it's completely unknown. We don't know how it happens. We cannot figure out how it happens. So when something is in the unknown that we can't figure out, what do we call that in the earth? Supernatural. right? When, it's, when something happens outside of our natural understanding, it's called supernatural. Supernatural, really, is the same thing happens when, I, I think it's insane, that a man says to a woman, hey, maybe we should think about having a baby, and supernaturally, nine months later, there's a baby. Don't you guys ever just stop and think of how incredible this is? And we want to just say, science, that's the dumbest thing I've ever heard in my life. It is science, you're right, but your definition of it is wrong. Isn't that incredible? And you know, the Bible says, come on, we know this, but I'm just reminding us of this, that Jesus said you must be born again. You must go through a supernatural transformation. Now, he, they're, they're wondering, and Nicodemus is asking Jesus, he says, how's that possible? How can I go back into my mother's womb? And you know, the caterpillar, what's incredible is that God could have been like, oh, Uh, you know, it's kind of like you were a caterpillar, and a caterpillar is its own creature, and then there's this another, there's another creature called a butterfly, and you have to kind of like, you look like one, but one day you're going to look like this, but isn't it incredible that God literally created a creature, that does not die in the natural, and yet goes through, while it's still alive in this earth, a supernatural transformation on the earth, not in heaven. Ooh, like, ah, oh. heaven. Like, who pictures? Who has a tough time picturing heaven physical like here? Come on, we all do it. We all look at it like a little misty. It's just going to have, like, an extra sparkle to it. I mean, I believe in, in many ways it is going to be more sparkly than here but it's hard for our natural minds to picture supernatural without like a mist and a cloud to it because it's outside of our reality, our seeing. I'm going somewhere. Everybody okay so far? Well, this is what it says. Come on, this is the Bible, though. Who thinks the Bible is mysterious? Whoever reads the Bible and just goes, okay, Lord, you're going to have to give me a class on this. All right? Well, it says in 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 16, It says, whenever someone turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. There was a spiritual veil that came upon our eyes. It was a curse. There was a veil that came upon our eyes, and it's even a picture of the veil that separated the most holy place, the holy place, and this veil the bible says in second corinthians chapter 3 verse 16 it's taken away verse 17 for the lord is the spirit and wherever the lord is wherever the spirit of the lord is there is freedom verse 18 so all of us who have had the veil removed can see and reflect the glory of the lord And the Lord, who is the Spirit, makes us more, everybody say more, and then I want you to say this, and more. Why? Because it's a process. It's more and more. Why? He doesn't just do it once. See, I believe that the devil actually tricked the church into thinking that salvation was a one-time event. I don't believe that that was God. It never says that once in my Bible. That's our theology, but that's not what my Bible says. When I read from my, my Bible from beginning to end, everything I see, we hear the words of Paul, and he's like, it's not that he's struggling and wondering, am I going to go to heaven? But he knows, I'm on a journey, my eyes are on Christ, I haven't achieved it yet, but I'm pressing towards it every single moment of every single day. Now, I'm not, I don't feel condemned, I'm not wondering, am I going to make it, but I am set my eyes on him, and I know that... I'm going to use every breath I have, everything that's in me, to go all the way to the end. Amen. Amen. And that salvation was not just one moment that we had at an altar call once. And so the Bible says here that there's a transformation that actually, like Christ, because it uses the same exact word, it says, it says he makes us more and more like him everybody say like him as we are metamorphosist this word changed we see, we're reading the english word changed but if you were greek and you were reading this in the original text you would have read you would have read about jesus up on the mountain and you would be like wow his face is shining white he's his clothes are white Man, they got to see the glorified state of Jesus. And now you're a Greek and you're reading the same exact Bible. And you read here in Corinthians that we are changed, we are metamorphosed into his glorious image. Amen. You know what this verse does not say? That this is what happens in heaven. It does not. This is what is happening, getting to heaven. You just can't see it yet. Rick and I were just asking yesterday, you know, just kind of a basic Christian question that we should ask. Actually, very, we should ask this often. And he asked me a question. He said, what is our purpose here on the earth? I think a really base Christian question that we don't ask enough. But he's had this complete and entire, uh, sorry to put you on the spot, but revelation of Jesus Christ this year. You know, he's had a metamorphosis. And we look, when you look like the natu- with the natural eyes, you look like Jesus that I saw five minutes ago, Okay, that's Jesus the carpenter. And is he the son of God? I'm not quite sure. We know that Jesus, that Peter is still struggling because he denies him, right? He's over there denying him right before which Jesus forgave him for and redeemed him and set him. You know, But he's still a little confused because he's like, I know I saw it. I know what I saw. But you're Jesus the carpenter. And then after the glorified state, you're Jesus the carpenter. But for a moment, he got a glimpse of the real Jesus inside of the human body that they put in the grave. Everybody all right? For just a moment, we need the Lord to give us a revelation of that glorified person that he sees in us. I see it in Rick. I'm looking, I could look like the world, but then I could also look. See, the world, just, the world just goes, you've changed. They don't understand. We're like, man, you've metamorphosis. Heaven just changed. I know the old Rick, and I love you. You know me too, so we're even. <laughs> I can't say a word because he'll just say a word about me. <laughs> I know his secrets. He knows mine. That's good. But he has metamorphosis. Sorry, Rick, I didn't mean to make you the uh, the focal point of this part of the sermon. But actually, thank you, Holy Spirit, because this actually is a picture of what I'm trying to preach today. That there's a change that needs to happen so deep that in the natural, it would look the same, but something internally. See, Jesus, he was changed so that they could see him, but he didn't have to become Jesus. But the Bible says that... There is a change that's happening to us right here in the earth where we are no longer the person that was born and the person who sinned and the person who made mistakes and the person with regrets and the person carrying baggage and the person who's struggling to make it and the person who's not victorious. But we are now... Literally, one with Christ, we have been changed into his glorious image. I want you to say with me, Lord, do it in me. Just keep doing it in me, Lord. Because what happens is, and, I, and, and so a lot of what I preach about is the process and going through it. And it could sound different than another preacher who says, Well, you've already you don't need to repent because you already repented. And you could say, Well, how can the two say the same thing? And when I look at my word, I just don't see that you repented once and you never have to repent again. I just don't see that in my word. I see it as a lifestyle of just constantly before the Lord, constantly humbling before him, letting him change me, and then change me some more. Who is the same person that was? that you were last year, how crazy it would be if you were sitting here at 45 like a five-year-old. And yet in the Spirit, the church goes, come as you are and stay as you are. We don't allow that in the world. We say you're childish, you're acting like a child. But in the Spirit, Jesus says, come as you are and let me change you into who I am. Amen. You can come. You can't even possibly clean yourself up. Go ahead and try. Who has tried, right? The world tried. Let me sow a few oats and then let me clean them up a little bit and then I'll come to Christ. Doesn't work. It is absolutely come as you are. And there is no way to come but who you are. But we are not to stay who we are when we come to Him, but we are to be changed. In fact, not just changed, but we are supposed to look so different that we are unrecognizable. I heard a preacher say once that when his old friends started recognizing the old him, that's when he knew that he needed to go repent again. Your old friends should not even recognize you anymore. In fact, You should say, I don't recognize you from last year. You've changed so much. And it's not us. You know, this is what the Bible says in Romans 12, something very similar. Romans 12, verse 1. Romans chapter 12, verse 1. It says, and so, dear brothers and sisters, I plead with you. I love that he says that. He says, I plead with you. You know, the Bible's not by accident, and words are not by accident. And every word was there on purpose. I plead with you. I can hear his cry. Who can hear his cry? Who can hear him pleading with us today? I'm pleading with you. Listen. This is the way and there is no other way. Everybody say, this is the way. There's no other way. I'm pleading with you. Just give it to God. Just give up. Stop fighting with God and you're like I'm not fighting with God but we do we do because the Lord says I don't want you to treat that person like this anymore and then we still do it but we justify it because of what they did to us and the Lord says no that's the old you he says let them Well, actually, let me finish. I plead with you to give your bodies to God because of all he has done for you. Let them be a living and holy sacrifice. You know what a sacrifice is? Anybody know what a sacrifice is? Do you know if you take an animal and you burn it on the altar, you can't take it back again unless you want to take a handful of ashes? If you want to walk around and you want to show your old friends your handful of ashes, that's fine. But you can't take you back again from the repentance point and say, Well, I'm taking a little bit of me back again. I repented of all most of it, except for this one area. I'm gonna just hold on to that a little bit. Then we haven't sacrificed. We haven't truly become a sacrifice yet. But he's pleading with us, and this is why. He says, He says, it's the kind of sacrifice that God finds acceptable. It's truly the way to worship Him. And then he says in verse two, He says, Because the ways of the world, the customs of the world, they're going to try to hold you and bind you and keep you from the freedom that God has for you. It becomes a prison and a trap from the enemy. You think you're justified in responding to that person, but, the, but he says, give it to me, because he says, I want to transform you. This is that word again. This is the only times it's listed in our word, is about Jesus there and then about us. It says to be metamorphosized into, everybody say, a brand new person by changing the way you think. It says, then you will learn to know God's will for you. You know, we can't even know God's will for us. This is funny. People try to, I'm not saying that you don't read the Bible before you get saved, because many people have gotten saved because of it, but it's not a logical thing. The Bible says it's foolishness to the world. The cross is foolishness. It's not logical. You actually have to, you can read it, but you actually have to just surrender, don't you? And to say, even if you've read it before, I believe what I'm reading, even though I don't understand it. And then suddenly what happens? Who has found that You go and you read a verse that you've read for 30 years, but suddenly now the revelation is there and you have an understanding that you've never had before. Because the Lord's been working on you and he had to get other stuff that was taking place in your heart. There was other things in there that were planted in the place of that revelation that had to be dealt with and uprooted before the revelation could take root in that place inside you. And God is so good to you that he will not let a brand new wine go into an old wine skin. He is so kind to us that he will take 30 years, if that's what it takes, to deal with an issue before he will let you have the revelation of what he... And it's not because he... does. He doesn't want the best for you, but he's holding back what, that revelation in your life that's really going to make you freer, but only to really protect you. Because what happens when somebody gets revelation without changing who they are? We call that knowledge, not revelation, and the Bible says knowledge puffs up. When we come into the mysteries and in the understandings of God, into the glory of God, but we don't change our ways, we are not humble and submitted, that's where shipwreck is bound to happen. But the Bible says that when we let him change us, change the way we think, and we start to learn God's will for us, which is good and pleasing and perfect. You know, the Bible Talking here about a metamorphosis, it's interesting because God is patient, but we are not patient. Amazon Prime two-day delivery is not fast enough anymore, right? In New York City, you can get one-hour delivery. (laughs) Tom would love that. God is not patient. God is patient. People are not. God is very patient. Very, very patient with us. He's very, very patient with us. And sometimes we're wondering, God, how come you haven't dealt with this issue in the world? How come you don't deal with this, this issue? And because God is looking from the, at the earth from a zoomed out position. We're looking at it, you know, second by second. And he's looking at it as a whole. He's looking at a whole life as one And he sees the big picture that we can't possibly see. And, you know, if God, the Bible says that if you take tares out before the wheat is fully grown, you could actually destroy the wheat as well. So sometimes maybe God's not dealing with things in the world because he's still letting... Some other things happen, some wheat grow first before he can deal with those tears. So we need to just let God's patience, we need to just let the metamorphosis happen because, you know, it's kind of like this. If you are, I'm closing here too, so don't freak out. I'm going to just keep dragging on. But if you are a caterpillar and you were just crawling along, that's your life, that's all you know, this is my life. You know the caterpillar's job, when I looked it up, you know they have one job as a caterpillar, one. They don't mate, you know, usually animals have two jobs. They eat and they mate. That's literally two jobs that all animals have. Caterpillars have one job because they don't mate until they're butterflies. So they have one job, which is to eat. That's it. They just eat and fatten up, fatten up, eat, 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 eat. That sounds like a decent life for some people. Just want to float around and eat. And then all of a sudden, you just crawl around and eat, crawl a little further and eat, and eat, crawl and eat, crawl and eat, crawl and eat. And then all of a sudden, something happens. They don't feel right, though. Something's not right. There's more to life. What's to life? They start asking these deep questions. There's more to life. And they, so they submit to the process. They go, okay, God. And then you know what God does to that little innocent caterpillar? He begins to destroy them piece by piece and turns them into goo. And right now the caterpillar is thinking, God, do you really love me? Because I had it pretty good just eating, doing nothing, just crawling around. Bugs life, man. (laughs) And God's like, if you will just hold on, if you, I, I can't even, how do you describe a butterfly to a caterpillar? Go ahead, try. Come back and tell me how it went. That's what it's like for God to possibly describe the glory that we can have if we will just submit to his plan and process. It's that big. I mean, it's beyond. I can't even express it in human words. But we are little stupid. I mean, he loves us so much, but just... For, for a picture's sake, you know, insignificant worms, caterpillars on the earth, and yet God sees us as precious. Every, nobody cares about the caterpillar. Everybody loves a butterfly. And they're so free. Isn't it amazing that God gave us this picture? It's not by accident that word metamorphosis is in there, and that's the word we have, that this picture, the freedom that comes, when you will just submit, and you know what happens when that submission? Isolation. I feel so lonely in the process, Lord. I feel like I've lost all my friends, all my things, all my stuff. The more I submit to you, the darker it seems like it's getting right now. And the Lord is doing an internal work before he does the external work, just like the just like the wine. He's doing something in your heart. He's changing some things. He's going through some things. He's dealing with some things. He's breaking down some things. He's tearing apart mindsets and and, and it feels like your whole, it literally is. You realize the cocoon, there's two really incredible pictures. They're hung from a tree. Isn't that, isn't that incredible that they hang? Just like Jesus on the cross, right? It's death. They literally get in a coffin. That's literally, they, they go into a coffin. They lock it up, having no idea what to expect. They don't know. They're not like, oh, well, I'll see you guys in a few months, other butterflies. they have no idea they just know that you know what it's nice and easy to be this worm this caterpillar right now sorry for the science people out there that I'm calling caterpillars worms it's not a worm it's really easy just to kind of just float through and just keep eating, eating, eating but God's got more for us God wants us to be free to be truly free you're like well I have freedom I can crawl wherever I want But he's like, if you will just go through the process, if you will just submit to what I have for you, if you will just die, oh, if you will just die, I can make you so free. I can take you what took you two weeks to crawl from here to there. You can fly there in a second. Isn't that amazing? Isn't God good? And that's what he wants for us. That's, his, that's what he has for us. You know what we need to do? All we need to do is just say, Lord, the same thing we did, I say this often, but I'm going to say it again. Just what you did at the cross the first time. Jesus, I love you, I think, because you don't know yet, right? But now we can say it confidently, but the first time you're like, you're repeating after, I repeat after them, I love you? Because you're at the altar and they're telling you what to say, Right? But we said these things we said Lord I repent Lord I forgive me for my sins I humble myself you can have my life all that we need to do is just keep saying that to him every day just keep saying it to the Lord Lord just take Lord I don't want this shell maybe you didn't hear me the first time <laughs> I don't want this baggage anymore I want to be free and we just give it to him and the Lord says okay I'm going to do some things in you. It's going to be painful. It's going to hurt. But I'm dealing with things. And as I do, I'm not going to leave you there. I'm not going to leave you broken. But I'm going to replace the lies that the enemy has told you with revelation that you can't even fathom. I'm going to put inside you love where there's hate. I'm going to put inside you joy where there's sorrow. I'm going to put inside you life where there feels like everything is death. And I just thank you, Jesus. We just make that a prayer. We thank you, Lord, that today, as we, Lord, just refresh, we're refreshed, we just come to you again and again. And I thank you, Lord, that we're changed every day. And, Lord, we're changed because we come. You're changing us because we're submitting. And we submit, you change us. When we resist, you let us resist you, Lord, because of your love and your grace and your mercy for us. You love us. That's not your best for us, but I thank you, Lord, that you give us grace. But, Lord, the best for us is to just keep submitting, and you will keep changing us, and keep changing us, and keep changing us until suddenly we are in glory with you. We thank you, Lord. We just give you praise and honor. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.